the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Let me give you our number right off the top here in case you want to join us. We had a few people who couldn't get on yesterday uh, when the show ended. You are always uh, welcome to call back. Uh, everything we talk about is one long seminar of a conversation, so it doesn't um, – sometimes callers say it's off – they may, they're worried about being off point. It's mostly all on point. Almost everything relates to one another. It's all our territory. Our phone number six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. The concern I had driving to the office today came from a conversation I was having at a lunch. I was privileged to be at, and. We were ta- I was talking to someone seated at my table about something, no doubt, we've talked about and has probably been on your mind a bunch, too, which is how fast things are moving, how fast the news cycle changes. This is all part and parcel, of course, of the crisis industrial complex. We must fuddle them, right? And part of the concern – well, the concern is really threefold. One, that – when we forget things, they just become part of the general way of doing things, our general mo- modus operandi. And what seems extreme, what seems intolerable, becomes less extreme and less intolerable over time. It becomes moderate and tolerable. That, that's one issue. Another issue is the one we talked about yesterday vis-a-vis the new the newly nominated controller of the currency, who is a Marxist, literally a Marxist, what they're doing on the left hand while we're all working on following the crises that they're giving us on the right hand, the distraction issue, bothers me. And then three, the merits, the justice of it all, the justice of it all. And, you know, you can you can come up with your own examples. I, I was thinking of, of, of several from just the last couple few months, starting with Mark Milley, really three things with Mark Milley, our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, President Joe Biden, Afghanistan, the border, all these things that just, you know, aren't much more than a week old and are practically forgotten. You know what's on the way there? Do you know what's on the way to about to be forgotten? I think the greatest chill on speech, the greatest assault on the First Amendment that I can recall in American history, probably since the Palmer raids, probably since the Woodrow Wilson era, that's what I'm worried about. We're losing this story already. The Merrick Garland story is not going to remain extreme, and it's not going to remain news. It's going to now become a moderate concept that we all just kind of get used to, and we move on to the next story, which will last a week, 
week and a half. These stories are being compressed. This is all part of the progressive process, too. This is all part of memory holding. You know, uh, there are thought police. We get that from Orwell's 1984. You saw that come from the Department of Justice. You see it come from a lot of places. Never expected it from the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice, of course, is there to enforce law. It's also to uphold law. Enforcing means upholding. And the First Amendment, last time I checked, was law, as as were several of the civil rights statutes known as 1981, 2, 3, 4, well, uh, I don't know, 4, 85, 1985. But remember what the memory hole is. Per Orwell, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, 1619, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute, day by day and minute by minute, such that history has stopped and nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always Right. So long as you agree with the progressive narrative, you will be just fine. FBI not knocking on your door, FBI not raiding your house early in the morning, on on and on we can go. Now, I was having a conversation with someone uh, the other day that I want to tie to this lunch. This is what uh, what connected the thought for me. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and uh, if he gives me permission to use his name, I'm happy to do it. He, I just didn't dawn on me I would be quoting him so directly, so I didn't ask his permission. But he was saying to me, you know, one of the things you talk about when you discuss political theory, or we talk about when we discuss political theory, is he said, I'm not sure we have quite right what it is that's trying to be imposed here. And it's a word that people are loath to use. But it's really more than just despotism. And it's really more than just tyranny. Those things happen here and there. And despotism can define any number of edicts or orders. He said the word I think that's right is totalitarianism. Because they are taking on the entire warp and woof of not only the constitutional democracy, but everyone who dissents from the modern program or the party line in favor of constitutional democracy. So it sent me running. <laughs> that word totalitarianism sent me running. This is, this is how I get exercise, I suppose, to, my, uh, to a book a friend of ours, Steve, has continually urged I read in which I neglected in my earlier studies, a book uh, on totalitarianism by a political philosopher who was super popular in the 50s, 60s, and 70s named Hannah Arendt. She wrote a book on totalitarianism, Hannah Arendt. She's tough to read. Uh, I'll grant that. So I'm not sitting here saying you guys all have to read Hannah Arendt. We'll we'll take that (laughs) job on for you. Um, Interesting scholar, most famous for her book on on, on the trial of Adolf Eichmann, where she created the phrase banality of evil. But she wrote an earlier book in 1951 on totalitarianism. And I was going through it after my discussion with this man who said the word is totalitarianism. Oh, heck, we'll just out him and 
and and and beg forgiveness later. Lewis, <laughs> his name is Lewis, and he, he he said it's really totalitarian. So I was reading Hannah Arendt's book on totalitarianism, and I stumbled upon this, and it's really quite amazing. She writes, gigantic lies and monstrous falsehoods can eventually be established as unquestioned facts that man may be free to change his own past at will and that the difference between truth and falsehood ceases to be objective and becomes a mere matter of power and cleverness, of pressure and infinite repetition. This is the mark of a totalitarian ethic. You like that? Truth and falsehood cease to be objective. How many times have we talked about that this week? And become a matter of power and cleverness. Yep, Thrasymachus. Might makes right. And of pressure and infinite repetition. Yep, they don't ever stop. They never stop. She goes on, Hannah Arendt does. Not Stalin and Hitler's skill in the art of lying, but the fact that they were able to organize the masses into a collective unit to back up their lies with impressive magnificence, exerting the fascination. Simple forgeries from the viewpoint of scholarship appeared to receive the sanction of history the permission of history itself when the whole marching reality of the movement stood behind them and pretended to draw from the necessary inspiration for action. In other words, not only, not only is the art and skill of lying an art and skill, it has to be used to organize the masses into an endless loop of lies with impressive magnificence exerting the fascination. We can come up with any number of examples. Why don't you think about horses and whips and cowboys instead of law enforcement reins and no beatings? That would be but one very easy example. I have a lot more to say about why it's not incorrect to think of the era we are observing as more totalitarianism than anything else. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Boy, do we have some great guests today. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Can someone give me a good way to remember who's the talking heads and, what's, and who's the simple minds? I confuse those two all the time. That was Simple Minds, correct? No, Talking Heads. This is just, yeah. <laughs> I should, you know what I should do when I'm guessing those kinds of things? I, I shouldn't guess. I should never guess, first of all. But I should go against intuition. When, can I tell this story? Yeah, I'll tell this story. William Bennett was up to be chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities. It was a pretty grueling fight in early 1981. And... He went to the conservative sage that he was so friendly with. There were a few. <laughs> and he went to, um, he went to uh, Norman Podhoritz, who was the editor of Commentary, who had published a lot of Bennett pieces, published Kirkpatrick's piece that got her the job in the Reagan administration. 
and he had a dilemma and he said to Port Horitz, what do I do? And Port Horitz said, I don't know. I'll tell you who's good at this in a way. Go see Irving Kristol. He can analyze things like no one. But whatever he advises, do the exact opposite. We, Bill and I know a few people like that, right? They're good for knowing what they – so Bill went and presented his case to Irving, his conundrum to Irving Crystal, and Irving Crystal gave him some sage advice and then said, but everyone always says they should do the opposite of what I recommend, so you should probably do the opposite. Now what yes. do you do? I will do the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> right. But now what do you do when someone tells you to do the opposite of someone who himself is saying people tell me? <laughs> yeah, it's a real philosophical conundrum. So maybe I shouldn't do that with simple minds and talking heads. There are no two bands I confuse more than that. I don't think. I don't think. I'm usually pretty good about that stuff. All right. We were talking about totalitarianism and Hannah Arendt's book on it and the moment we're in. And why, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's important because you've heard me say maybe it's a I don't know if it's clever enough for a bumper sticker, but you've heard me say you may not be interested in political philosophy, but it's interested in you, particularly Marxist political philosophy, particularly Marxist political philosophy, even when it comes in fascists shoes, boots. Because that's what they are interested in, the totality of the population on every issue. And so Hannah Arendt puts it well. She says the means of total domination and totalitarianism are not only drastic, but totalitarianism differs from other forms of political oppression, such as despotism, tyranny, and dictatorship. Because whenever it rose to power... It developed entirely new political institutions and destroyed all social, legal, and political traditions in the country. You ever find yourself marveling at the new institutions that have cropped up of late? I can give you initials. You know what they are. You know what they are. You ever uh, think about the possibility that... um, Social, legal, and political traditions of the country are the target of these institutions. Think about what the Supreme Court has done. Think about what the federal courts, think about what all courts have done with simple, plain meanings and readings of the U.S. Constitution. It's a pretty good way to get at destroying social, legal, and political traditions in this country. She goes on to say, no matter what the specifically national tradition or the particular spiritual source of its ideology, totalitarian government always transformed classes into masses, supplanted the party system, not by one-party dictatorships, but by a mass movement used to shift the center of power from the army to the police and establishing a foreign policy opening directed towards undermining itself. Present totalitarian governments have developed from one-party systems whenever they became truly totalitarian 
and start to operate according to a system of values so radically different from all others that none of our traditional legal, moral, or common sense utilitarian categories can any longer help us come to terms with the present course of action. So let's say a court, for example, refuses to hear a case, your case, any case, from a conservative or a Republican on a political issue or a civil rights issue or a criminal issue. It closes off your avenue towards justice. Let's say a political party states that those who did not adhere are something less than equal human beings or citizens of this country. You're seeing this in so many ways. Whether we are called bigots or white supremacists, that's a way to dehumanize us as a movement, as a party. It's not exactly a pejorative, I suppose, even though they're trying to make it one, and maybe it will be. And I guess to the New York Times and the media, it probably is. But white evangelical, you see a lot of that. It's a way to marginalize and write people out of an opposing party. There's a lot of ways they do it. And threatening to sick the FBI on people doing nothing more than standing up at the most basic level of democratic government, the town hall, also school board meeting, the idea that you're going to sick the FBI on people who challenge the state What word would you use for that? Chilling of speech doesn't quite do it. Doesn't quite do it. But think about this. You've heard me talk about the answer to our problems lying in our education system and us having to rescue it and take it back. You've heard me talk about this. You've heard me talk about how the left understood they would get us through our children, our youth, in the 60s, and how they have been steadily marching forward in doing so. Look at what they do. So we try to go to these school board meetings. Again, the most basic lo- level of democracy at the most you know, connected person to the citizen. We go there to try this. We go there to stand athwart racist curriculum yelling stop. And what do they do? What do they do? FBI threats is what they do. Threats from the FBI. The knock at midnight. The unsuspecting call. The tap of the boot. Does it ever make you wonder why they're trying to protect that one thing so much? The schools? And their curriculum? It should. It should. I want us to know what they know. And what they know is the schools are sacrosanct to their mission. Well, they're sacrosanct to ours too, except our mission is the country, not their cause.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960 is the number. Uh, right before the break, I was talking about the political philosophy of totalitarianism and how it might work in the modern world, how it would look here. And it's all been described. It's all been taught. I was just reading you from Hannah Arendt's book on totalitarianism, where she talks about how cultural and historical and moral and legal categories all have to be transformed for totalitarianism to take root. Think about the schools. Think about the courts. Think about all our social institutions and curricular institutions and their transformation. Think about Newspeak, Thought Police, and Right Think for a moment. I have been making a point about those healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers, who have refused to submit to vaccinations. And I said, isn't it interesting? I've been saying, isn't it interesting that a year ago we couldn't hear enough from these healthcare workers? Healthcare workers were our heroes. They were our Rosie's the Riveter. They were interviewed. Their perspective was important. They tugged at our heartstrings, our emotions, and our brains and our minds. Isn't it interesting? Even though Joe Biden promised in his campaign, and I read you from his website yesterday, to protect them and do more for them than any previous administration. Is it interesting, as they are quitting, being laid off, suspended, and fired now by the thousands for refusals to take vaccines, Kaiser fired over 2,000 yesterday. Isn't it interesting that the media doesn't want to interview them. All of a sudden, they're no longer experts. They're no longer Rosie's the Riveter. I, for one, think it would be really interesting to know what these frontline healthcare workers know that the government isn't telling me about what they're seeing with regard to vaccines that leads them to choose not to have a job over getting the vaccine. Seems like the kind of thing Mike Wallace might have investigated, which is what reminded me of another point. Remember about two weeks ago when the Veritas Project interviewed emergency department doctors here in Phoenix, of all places, right here at the uh, Indian Medical Center here on uh, Indian School Road, off Indian School Road? Remember, remember when James O'Keefe got that video out? He interviewed the healthcare workers. He wanted to know what they were thinking. He was the only journalist, so far as I know, that did it. Was it cited, mentioned on CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post? Remember how these things used to work, please. For those who say, well, that was his venue. Macy's doesn't tell Gimbel's. People don't know that reference anymore. What would be the right reference? Nordstrom doesn't tell, talk to Macy's? I don't know, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, that's not true. 
That's not how the media works. When the media wants to be a mafia, it knows how to be. And when when it wants to share the wealth, it knows how to do it. Think about how they all ganged up on the New York Post for releasing the the Hunter Biden laptop story. Remember? They colluded to shut it down and succeeded for a day. Succeeded. When there's a national security leak that's an embarrassment to a Republican, the papers all do the same thing. It, this, is, this, is, this is not a new story. Watergate story about Nixon was a fight in part between the New York Times and the Washington Post. Same with the Pentagon Papers. Same with all the disclosures during the George W. Bush administration. Dana Priest at the Washington Post wrote on it one day. James Risen at the New York Times cites her work and writes his own take on it the next day. Wall Street Journal on the third day does a summary of the two of them. This is how it works. Any of them do that with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe on those Rosies the Riveter? Who had something negative to say about VAERS vaccines, COVID, and hospitals on the CDC and reporting? No. They shut him down. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. 602 Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. All right, I knew I'd get in trouble when I said I couldn't tell the difference between the simple. I didn't know how to tell the difference between the simple minds and talking heads. I got a bunch of emails during the break. Same theme song of the Breakfast Club movie of the '80s. That that's Simple Minds, Talking Heads, iconic band, tons of hits. Burning down the house, Take Me to the River, Once in a Lifetime, Wildlife, Psycho Killer, etc., etc. Okay, that's how I'll know it. That Simple Minds has one song. And it's The Breakfast Club. Anything else that can be about the brain and a musician in the title of the band is talking heads. No more sim- – that's, that's, that's an easy rule. I can, I can work with that. Thank you, Bill. Um, and thank you, um, Joe, who uh, wrote in, uh, as did a couple others. Another thing that re – reifies, reifies, concretizes, if you will, the party line is not just the taking over of institutions. It's what those institutions do, social, cultural, legal, you name it. It's what those institutions do with the power they have. And obviously, obviously, we're now in the territory of media bias. Media bias. If someone went up to you, here's a good test of it. If someone went up to you and said, uh, what is the uh, situation with COVID in Florida? What's the situation of COVID in Florida? Bill, what, what would you expect a general passerby on Camelback Road to give you an answer? We haven't rehearsed this, so I don't know what you're going to say, but go ahead. What would you imagine the man on the street would say if he was asked, what's the situation with COVID in Florida? Well, we haven't heard a peep in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to guess the average person will still assume the default, which is, oh, d- d- disaster. And Mississippi, would you say? Red state disaster. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And you were interested. It was interesting what you said. We haven't heard about it in a couple of weeks because, well, going if, you, down. If, if you look at the data, I would think this would be a headline. I would think it would be an accomplishment. I would think the following would be a cause for celebration, not misery or censorship by not printing it. Daily COVID-19 cases in Florida and Mississippi dropped 50% in the last two weeks. You nailed it, Bill. Haven't heard much in two weeks, you said. A couple weeks, you said, right? A couple being two. Yeah. Wouldn't you think that would be a cause for celebration if you reduced your COVID caseload by half? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Just so, Just so you know. This is this is this is one of the things that we're talking about when I say it's harder to be a conservative. You actually have to kind of work to get this stuff. Well, sort of. It's not hard work, but you have to labor. You have to effort. Can I make effort a verb? You have to effort to get these stories. It's kind of like if you like watching TV series you might sign up for Amazon Prime and then someone tells you, oh, you got to see so such and such, but it's not on Amazon Prime, so you have to subscribe to Hulu and you like that series. And then someone says, oh, if you liked that, you'd love why. But that's not on Hulu or Amazon Prime, so you now have to sign up with, I don't know, Paramount. The point is you have to, you have to work now. You have to kind of effort to get this stuff. The same way. You have to subscribe to a lot of different channels of information if you want to be a somewhat informed citizen who knows a little bit more than Don Lemon. You have to effort it. Walks, what, just watching Fox News or turning in the talk ra- to talk radio isn't going to do it because you may want to know something that Seth Leibson here or Seth Leibson there isn't covering or no one called in about, or that Fox News may not have covered. You have to. So I subscribe to a lot of different news things. And then you have to do one more thing. One more thing. For the same reason when you submit an op-ed to the editor, they will edit the heck out of you, but they'll let leftists write nonsense, unverifiable facts without fact-checking. You have to do one other thing. Chase down the original source. Or at least a second source. If not a first, a second legitimate source of some kind, usually an original one. You have to. You have to. There's a lot of fake out there. You want to – I'll give you an example. Um, it's on our side, more on theirs, but we have ours too. And you just – you got to do it because if you're called out, you can be dismissed. If you're called out for saying something you know, factually incorrect, you don't want to be in that spot. Someone sent me an email the other day about, I don't remember what it was, 9, 10, 12 principles of socialism laid out by Saul Alinsky on various issues. I, I, I've read Saul Alinsky in the original, and it didn't look familiar to me. Could it have been in a speech? Could it have been in an essay that wasn't in one of his two major books, Rules for Radicals, Revelief for Radicals? Um, sure, I knew the books. I didn't know all his essays, but I chased it down, and it turns out it's a myth. It's an internet rumor. It's he never wrote it, never said it. So that's a small one. That's a small one. But it let me just tell you, always pays, always pays to hunt down. What's my rule, Bill? What's my rule of news? You know it? 
I have one rule. Yeah, I said it yesterday. Let's test, let's test your short-term memory. Rusty knows. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And if it's too bad to be true, it probably is. I need to add a caveat on the second part. If it's too good to be true, it usually is. If it's too bad to be true, it usually is unless it comes from the Biden administration. Could you imagine a year ago? Could you imagine in the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, the Carter administration? Could you imagine the notion of an attorney general addressing a trumped-up charge of mass violence taking place against school board members in this country so that the FBI will be deployed? Could you imagine that kind of thought or statement emanating from an administration until now? A lot of groundwork has been prepared, though, for it. And that's why I ask you, if you don't think a lot of groundwork has prepared us for this, prepared the country for this, to take it as oh-so-ho-hum and blasé, just another day in, in the week, just another month in the year, just another year in America, you don't think they've planted the, the, the seeds for that to be the case? For it to become no longer extreme, but now just moderate and common. But now sick, that's a good word. If you don't believe me, tell me how much you read about it in the news today. Exactly, uh... I don't exactly remember how we got on this or why we thought it was pertinent. But there was an issue of dreams yesterday, and you raised with me, and it it wasn't because you were reading Freud. What what happened? You had a dream or a nightmare or something? Uh, It was about this very show. I dreamed that it was 3.53 p.m., and we just realized we hadn't started the show yet. At all, not just the segment, the entire show. We were 53 or whatever it would be, 48 minutes late or something. I think it's the radio version of the overslept for the final exam. And did we get fired? Did we get in trouble? We were hoping that Jim was not listening. Okay. (laughs) As we are hoping he's not listening right now as we talk about our dreams on air. Okay. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. One of the toughest guys in education reform policy and standing up for civil and religious rights is a gentleman named Mike Ferris. Michael Ferris started – really deserves the credit for starting and sustaining the legal defense of homeschooling. Going back to the 80s, he's been on this. And he's been advocating for, educa- uh, for parental rights and education for decades. He's, won- he's argued two cases before the United States Supreme Court personally. He's now the head of Alliance Defending Freedom. And he has a few thoughts on Merrick Garland and the memo. He will be our guest at the top of the next hour. Very much looking forward to hearing from Michael Ferris, constitutional authority and a warrior and a warrior. I was mentioning the 8, 9, 10, 11, I just don't remember, items of socialist doctrine that is attributed to Saul Alinsky. It's, it's not there. It doesn't exist specifically. But he does have the rules in his book, The Rules for Radicals, 
and um, they're worth they're worth rereading. Power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Yeah, that's the point of the Garland Memo. Just the idea that showing up at a town hall meeting or a school board meeting will lead to a federal or local investigation. Just the thought of that. It's called a chill. It's called a preemptive strike against free speech. It's meant to intimidate you. It's meant to intimidate you. We are not an intimidatable people, are we? I have severe questions about that. Last year and a half has given me those questions. So let me rephrase the question into a statement. We should not be an intimidatable people. Not a country that starts with give me liberty or give me death based on the principles that all mankind is entitled to unalienable rights. Don't go away. Mike Ferris coming right up. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.